morning. Today we have a special guest speaker joining our conversation. Before the age of 29, Hannah had no history of illness of any kind. In January 2019, she started off with a chest infection that continually got worse, where she became extremely breathless and found it almost impossible to sleep. She went to A&E and was formally diagnosed with heart failure. After months of numerous tests, confusion, infection, and difficult conversations, Hannah was put on the urgent transplant list. Four months after her initial diagnosis, she received a life-saving heart transplant. Since her transplant, Hannah has retained a has retrained as a mindset coach, and she now helps women without children by choice or circumstance to live a fulfilled and unapologetic lifestyle. She has also created Transplant Tribe, a space for transplant recipients to share their stories and give hope to anyone who is on a similar path. Welcome to Health Chronicles podcast, Hannah. We're so excited to have you today. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. Yes, thank you. Welcome, welcome. Can you tell us a little bit about about yourself? Like, where are you located and, you know, your background? Yeah, of course. I'm um, currently in the southeast of England. So I'm about an hour and a half um, south of London. Um, and I live in a little village in East Sussex, um, where currently everyone knows everyone. And um, yeah, it's, it's a really nice area to be in. Um, and like you said, yeah, I was uh, 28 when I received my transplant um, mm -hmm. and prior to that I'd had no no health issues whatsoever yeah just kind of like us all like I guess with our diagnosis too we just kind of randomly started having <laughs> issues it's so weird how it just kind of creeps up on you you didn't have like any sort of issues like any blood pressure problems I'm not that I was aware of like for me I didn't even um like I didn't take any medication like even I you know I was never I took my health for granted really I didn't even mm -hmm. like I never really got colds or coughs I never went to the doctors um li like literally I thought I was invincible so it did it was just <laughs> completely out of the blue and like yeah mind-blowing really yeah yeah for sure tell us a little bit how you ended up needing a heart transplant with no like initial health problems so yeah, I, I think it was the end of it was the end of 2018 where I started to get a chest infection, um, and I went to the doctors and they gave me antibiotics and kind of sent me on my way. And that was the first time that I'd taken antibiotics as an adult. Like that's how well I'd been previously. Um, and then it went away, and then that was in the November, and then in the December it came back again, and I kind of ignored it. I was really busy with work. Um, it was my birthday. It was Christmas period, so it was just like so much going on. So I just kept going, and I was like, it, it will go away. You know, it's just a chest infection. I think I got some more antibiotics, um, but nothing was helping. And at the beginning of January 2019, um, I started to feel really unwell. I couldn't go to work. Um, we thought it was norovirus there was lots of norovirus going around um so i kind of i was living by myself at that point so friends and family would drop food off at my door and then run away because obviously highly contagious so i spent a few weeks kind of by myself and it not nothing getting better um mm -hmm. and after a few weeks i couldn't cope by myself so i drove myself over to my mum's spent a week there mainly in bed um and after a week i was like this isn't this isn't right so we went to A&E um, and the next morning they diagnosed me with heart failure but they said that if if I took some medication and you know four weeks or so rest 
um, I should be like, I should be able to lead a relatively normal life, whatever mm -hmm. relatively normal life means. So I thought, okay, you know, we can deal with this, I think slightly in denial. And then um, they gave me some meds and I crashed immediately. My body couldn't tolerate the medication. Um, and I think they were very worried. And a couple of days later, they sent me to um, specialist heart and lung center in London. And that's where I was for the next four months, basically. Um, wow. And yeah, it was dilated. They think it was dilated cardiomyopathy. Um, mm -hmm. And basically my heart had from a viral infection had stretched um, and scarred and um, was obviously my heart wasn't pumping the blood around my body. Um, so they mm -hmm. popped me on the IV medication. So I felt much better when I was on that. And they just yeah. kind of carried on doing more and more tests until eventually mm -hmm. the only way forward was transplant. Of course, of course. Wow. Did you have like any, like a family history of heart problems at all? No, no, no. not at all. Um, we kind of looked into it a little bit, but no one, no one, had had anything um and then mm -hmm. I've, I've had a genetic test since um and oh, it came wow. came back with nothing um they said that it is still possible that it could be genetic um because they haven't like can't test obviously all the genes um mm -hmm. so they they asked my nearest family to go and get some tests done um but nothing nothing has come of it wow that's really interesting because like for me for me um my father he actually he had heart failure as well um he died after his second um, heart transplant unfortunately um and he also had kidney problems which is where i think i got like my kidney you know issues from so i guess sometimes it just kind of you know happened but his family like they have like a like that's what they're unfortunately known for like heart problems so that's yeah. why i was you know asking yeah i'm sorry to hear that did, did he had okay. two two heart transplants did he Yes, yeah, so he had one that lasted him for 10 years when he first came to the United States and then um, his second one rejected. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah, but it's okay. It was, it was a while ago. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so um, the clinic that you went to, A&E, is that, where did you say that was located? I'm sorry. That's okay. So that was our, my local hospital. Um, so that was in Eastbourne. Um, so we went there first. Um, and then they transferred me to um, a hospital, like a specialist hospital in London. Mm -hmm. wow. How does it work specifically with like transplants in the UK, for example? Because like there's a really long list um, in regard to like kidney transplants, for example, here in the States. And I think it kind of works a little similarly with heart transplants. But what what is like the turnaround time? Uh, what is like the typical wait to be on a transplant list there? So I think it's fairly similar in terms of there, like there is a really long list um, here and I think it depends on how unwell you are so um, again I don't know what it's like where you guys are but there's the super urgent list the urgent list and then the routine list um, so because of how unwell I was they put me on the urgent list which means I had to stay in hospital for the whole time I had to be on IV medication and there was a moment where they thought they might have to put me on the super urgent list which means I would have been bumped up the list but I would have been in intensive care on a pump or something um, and it's obviously that balance of not being too unwell that you couldn't make it through the surgery um, and being yeah unwell that you had to be there so there is there is long waits um, and I suppose 
well, I mean, I was very lucky to have got my heart so quickly. I think it was about six weeks in the end. Um, but that was because I was on the urgent list. And I, okay. I think because I think I was getting sicker and sicker, really. I kept getting different infections and I had sepsis and MRSA while I was in the hospital for a brief point. And then I, th I think it transpired on my re um, release notes that I had sepsis when I went into transplant like when I had my transplant, they just hadn't realized it wow. was sepsis at that point. Wow. So I think I was just on a rapid decline. Yeah. Do you feel um, that like you, you got the support that you needed with such a short period of turnaround time from getting diagnosed to like being hospitalized and then staying hospitalized until you got a transplant that there was support provided for you at the hospital? Or did you feel like people around you just rallied around you to get you through this time? I think, yeah, I think both. I think there was the support from the doctors and the nurses. Like I, I became really close with a few of the nurses because they, I saw them every day. Like, you know, it, was, it became a home away from home really. Yeah. And it was so nice in a way that I, like I had my own room and I could fill it with stuff. So people sent me blankets and cards and my nieces and nephews sent me like, you know, drawings and things. So I could make it feel a bit, a bit more homely. Um, and I was also really lucky in that my friends and family, like I had visitors, it became a running joke that with the nurses, like who was coming in today, because I had friends and family come and visit me every day, which helped massively with the weight because I, I just can't imagine the people that are going through it now with COVID and not being able to have those visitors. It must be so difficult. Right. It must be. Um, I remember, um, I think you and I have a bit of a similar story because I also got diagnosed in, in 2019 mm -hmm. and my period between diagnosis to transplant was about six months. Mm -hmm. um, but I remember that diagnosis, like when the moment I was diagnosed in that first couple of weeks in the hospital, um, just constantly having visitors. Like I, even some nights my mom would sleep with me. Um, if the hospital was allowed, we'd have to really, really push them to allow yeah. that. But it helps just having like people coming in and just that ha having that distraction or just talking or you know engaging with people outside of the hospital um for me though it was kind of the opposite where i it got really overwhelming where it was just too many people like my room was just so crowded and we actually took over the whole waiting room at some point so people would bring like pots of food <laughs> and literally camp out of the hospital <laughs> and it was looking back i it was really really sweet because um, in a way, they may be doing it for me, but I think more importantly, they're doing it for my family, for my parents, like keeping them company as well, um, giving them some sense of distraction and just, just, just keeping them, you know, just being with them through this tough period. But, but yeah, I can't, like you said, I can't really imagine how, how it is right now with COVID and the restrictions it must be really tough for those, for, for others. Yeah. Yeah, it must be really hard. And that, same for me, really, with that overwhelm. Like, there was times where I was like, okay, can we, like, space it out a little bit? So I'd be like, <laughs> I feel like I, my brother was in charge of most of it. So he'd, like, message me being like, right, this person's coming at this time and this person's coming at this time and this person's like, okay. And my one, like, my one request was, if you're coming to visit, bring me food because I didn't want to eat the hospital food. So I was like, just right. bring me anything. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So what was it like... Um... Because like, like you just said, you know, your um, that period was quite quick between diagnosis and getting a transplant it was within four months, right? Yeah. So what was it like picking your life back up after your heart transplant, you know, like starting your post transplant life? Um, 
and like you said, you know, before diagnosis, you were completely healthy, um, young person in her twenties. And then suddenly, um, as, as we've all gone through, you know, you're just bombarded with all of these medications and processes and new, new areas of your life that you have to think about that you never previously thought about or had to let go of. So how was, how was that like for you? Yeah, I think, I mean, I look back and I can remember the feelings that I felt at that point. And I don't know if it was the same for all of you, but like that gratitude that you felt like as soon as you were awake and, and, and feeling better after transplant, like that I'm alive now. So I'm here to live and I need to, you know, I need to do stuff. So in one respect, it was, it was like a new lease of life. I was, I was really grateful for the fact that I was still here. Cause I, I think, and I never really realized, but I think there was a, a really close moment where I could not have been here. So I think that was one aspect of it and feeling grateful and feeling happy and feeling like excited for what was to come. But then on the other hand, it was, it, it was a lot. And I had to move back in with my mum and my grandparents, um, which was hard for me, but I think it was probably harder for them um, because I'm such, or was, I, I still am now, but I was such an independent person that then having to rely on other people to do things for me or to be around for me was quite hard. Um, and then, I mean, I, I left my, my job. Um, I was working for an events company for friends and I just had decided while I was in hospital that I didn't wanna work in an office. I didn't wanna sit in an office, you know, eight till six every day. Um, and I realized like how short life was and, and that's not what I wanted to do. So. I went into my recovery thinking I'd take it slowly um, and do things at, at a level which I could and just take it slowly so I could kind of be the best that I, or could get to the best that I could be. Mm -hmm. um, and then, yeah, I mean, the first year you have to be really careful, right? And have to be really um, careful of infections and of anything else. And it, it was okay. Um, parts of it were really difficult. Parts of it were, I, you know, I planned things to see friends where I could. And then obviously the pandemic hit a year later and, and it was kind of you closed off to everything. And that was the first lockdown here for me was really, really difficult. Um, and that's when I kind of really felt like I was a, a chronic illness, illness patient or, you know, I was different from how I was before. And I think coming to terms with that and realizing that things weren't the same mm. was a, a massive learning curve. Is that like your first time really sitting down and thinking about like engraving I guess like the former life you had or like understanding like what you went through with getting diagnosed and then getting a transplant because I feel like there's always a grieving period whether it's like right in the beginning or like for me for example it hit me like years later um because I kind of was just cruising through things and life was nor like felt like it was back to normal and everything felt good and then it was just like reality hit where it was like okay things are slightly different and then that's when I became aware that like things were different for me versus for you know for most other people so do you feel like with the pandemic and just being kind of isolated or mainly with yourself that you had a lot of thoughts about grieving your your journey yeah and I don't think I'd actually ever really seen it like that until you said that like a grieving period but I think it really was. Um, I had a, I, I remember I had a couple of weeks at, in, at the beginning of, of, lock, of the lockdown where I couldn't really get out of bed and it was the lowest I'd ever felt, not because of illness, because of 
probably grief and a friend of mine that I'd been waiting for waiting with in hospital she was waiting for a heart as well um I found out that she'd passed away um and that hit me and then I think I'd start I don't know if I'd started it yeah I'd started writing a blog so what transplant tribe um what originally started as was a blog for myself and my journey so I'd started getting my like feelings and writing things down and actually starting to process it and I think probably all of that and the grief of um my friend passing away and then the whole weight of like realizing what I'd just been through and then also seeing my friends and family kind of doing whatever they wanted like you know during the pandemic being yeah. able to not fear for their lives I think yeah all of that came together and 100% I think the weight kind of was on my shoulders and yeah completely a grieving period. Was there anything in particular I know you mentioned the blog but was was a blog like what you know kind of got you or supported you out of that or helped you understand and kind of um, break everything down for you or was there something that stood out to you during that process that um, you really found was supportive for you? I think um, writing, yeah, writing the blog, writing different pieces from like for myself and being able to kind of just get it all out of me and, and put yeah. it down on paper was a massive thing. And I also had like a couple, one main like transplant community where we, I don't know how many of us are on there. I think 10, maybe 10 of us on a, on a WhatsApp group or heart transplant patients, all similar ages. Um, I don't know how we all found each other, but like different ways. And we all ended up in this WhatsApp group. And during that period, we were talking on it a lot because obviously we're all in lockdown, all in the same thing. And yeah. that really helped. I think having, I remember when I, when they first mentioned about transplant to me in hospital, the first thing I did was look for people online who had been there or who was going through it that were similar ages to me because I needed to know that there was life after transplant. Like I'd ne I didn't know, you know, anyone really that had had a transplant or had a heart transplant at my age. And I didn't really know anything about the community. So that was the first thing that I looked for. Um, and I think that really helped throughout this process. Awesome. Yeah, I totally, I think what, cause I got my transplant most recently um, compared to Fatou and Hiddle and I honestly think like um, have, having that support system, like meeting for two and Hiddle and having these constant conversations mm -hmm. because that's how the podcast first started. We just had these Zoom meetings and we're like, let's just record our conversations. Um, and then it ended up, come, you know, us creating this podcast. But I always appreciate being able to connect with other transplant patients, especially in our age group, like you said, because yeah. it just helps. And this is a lifelong journey. There's going to be moments where we panic, you know, something new happens or um, a side effect pops up, like just something, something unexpected that was, that we're not used to. And I always find it helpful to just reach out to the community, um, just sending messages to those who I've managed to connect with, um, like literally just copy pasting the same message or like putting it on close friends and Instagram. But it, it just yeah it helps it helps knowing that you're not the only one going through something and that you can connect with others yeah absolutely and I think you know as much as our family and friends like are there for us in such a big way or can be there for us in such a big way they don't really understand 
like what we're going through and the thoughts that we're having and when you connect with people like who are similar like us that can like understand exactly what or partly what we've been through it makes it so much easier because you've got that sounding board and you've got that understanding yeah yeah absolutely is that how you kind of um progressed into like your advocacy work based off you meeting and connecting with different transplant patients yeah i think so i so I started the, the Transplant Tribe, which was called something else before, I can't remember what it was, <laughs> um, which was my blog. And that was that was more for me. Um, but also, like, I, I remember reading a couple of people's blogs while I was in hospital and while I was waiting, which really helped me. So I thought well, if I could help myself, but also if someone's reading this at the early start of their journey, then it might it might help them as well. Um, and then after um like the first couple of lockdowns i i stopped writing and i i didn't have well, i didn't have the time but i kind of got everything out and I, I would like to write more at some point but at the moment it's just not there and i wanted to do more and i think for, like coming out of transplant because it's such a big thing i want to do things to help and to like spread awareness for organ donation as well as help other people because I, it's massive and so many people helped me is I liked the idea of giving back so I think that's where it kind of led it how it led to to this and um yeah I'd love to do more in the future in regard to you mentioning in the beginning that you coach women um women who want to be child free either by circumstance or chance um I want you to speak into why that is important to you um I know I connect to it and uh, my fellow co-host and I have talked about this before, so we're happy that you're on and you're sharing with us. Um, so if you wanna speak into that, working strictly with women that um, are, you know, are child-free by circumstance or by chance. Yeah, so I think for me, um, I remember a conversation with a transplant coordinator, like the conversation with a transplant coordinator where he had to sit down and I had to sign papers and he had to tell me all the ways that my life would change and all the ways that the transplant could go wrong and you know every all the all the bad things basically that we had to go through and I felt so sorry for him because he was probably a couple of years older than me and he was telling a 28 year old woman that she probably couldn't have children and all of these things and I could tell that it was hurting him and I was trying to laugh my way through it so that it helped him which obviously probably wasn't the right thing to do in my, in my situation but um I always thought I wanted children um I thought that would be my path I think partly because um I'm great with kids and I love kids and my family are full of children um partly because I'm one of six um I have five siblings um and partly because it's what society tells us, right? You're a woman, so you're going to get married and you're going to have kids. So that's what I thought yeah. my path was. Um, and when he said, you know, he, the, the words from him was that were that he strongly they they strongly advised me not to carry my own children um, because of the I think the pressures it would have on my heart and on my body post transplant, um, which is understandable. Um, and I know I do know women that have had um, had had babies after transplant. I know it's possible, and I know that some um, hospitals, some centres, um, 
are okay with it and they you yeah know, and and even he said like if it's something that you want to do and and that gets to a point then we can talk about it but we ask you to come to us first and have those conversations um and i think partly because of like some of the medications that we're on um yes harm the yeah. baby, harm the fetus and stuff like that um so there's, there's a lot around it and for me i've i am single but i've taken the choice as well now that if it came to it i wouldn't have children of my own i wouldn't want to put my my body through it and I also don't know my life expectancy um, and what's going to happen in my future with my health and I, I personally wouldn't want to put that on my unborn child so that's a personal choice for me um, but it was the hardest probably one of the hardest things that I took from the transplant and something that I really had to work on and think about and um, I've had uh, a therapist which I've talked about it with and different ways to kind of work through it um and i i also think it's hard because of of the society and the way that we're conditioned that i feel like sometimes as a woman you don't you're not seen as a full woman if you don't have a have a child or you're not seen as complete um or you're seen as um unfulfilled um or, or selfish or whatever you know whatever the the way that people see it as and I, I just don't, it doesn't sit right with me that that's still um, a narrative that we're given and a, a narrative that we're living by. So I think originally when I retrained as a coach, that wasn't my intention. And it was, I was kind of looking at a, a broader audience, but I really wanted to help people and I really wanted to speak to people and I really wanted to um, be able to coach women that, that were going through something that I'd gone through. So I think it kind of all came down to this and it's something that I'm quite passionate about and want to speak about more um, and talk about the stigmas and question like the way we look at things um, and, and help women realize that if, if that's what they want, if they've chosen to not have children or if they can't have children for the circumstance that they've been given, that it's okay and that there is a way forward and there's, there is still life to be lived. That's, yeah, um, I think, Hannah, you and I spoke about this a little bit where I I feel like I'm still in that mind space where I haven't really grasped with that. I haven't really thought about relationships or having children in my life. I still feel like I'm processing and trying to accept what's happened to me and how to live my life, you know, like protecting this second chance at life, but at the same time, just living my life to the fullest. And so, you know what, actually this year is when it started hitting me a bit more because I'm turning 30 mm -hmm. <laughs> and there's now that build, build up of pressure. Yeah. Um, I think you and I have a bit of similar experience in that, you know, we got our transplant just before COVID started. And so when COVID started, when the pandemic hit, I was still recovering from surgery and my whole family was like, you know, let's just give her the space. Let's not let like no one really brought up the topic about it's time to get married, which mm -hmm. happens a lot in my culture. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure a lot of us really can relate to that. And so um, seeing now, you know, I think we're all at that age. I personally feel like I'm at that age or that time in my life where everyone around me is moving on or like, you know, starting families and getting married. And so being in that environment is starting to help you know, 
I'm starting to think more about it or think about what that would look like for me and what options I do have. Like you, um, that I had that chat as well where, you know, there's going to be obviously medications that you have to come off and you have to be very, very mindful about it, which feels weird because it's something that should be natural. You should not be, you know, you don't have to consult with people, but that's that's the life that we have. Mm-hmm. But, you know, with the choice that you've made, um, are you, would you still want to look into non-traditional ways of having children, like adoption, surrogacy, or, or have you thought about that yet? So, I, I mean, like I said, I am single, so I haven't thought about it. I mean, b- before my transplant, I said that if I, if I didn't meet someone, then I would probably do it by myself. Whereas now mm-hmm. I wouldn't do that. Um, I, for me, again, personally, I feel like adoption or surrogacy I'm still bringing a child you know I'm still bringing a child into my life that could possibly be harmed by my health down the line um Mm. I feel like again it's a personal decision and not on anyone else I still feel like personally I would be selfish to to do that to um to hurt, to hurt a child in that way if, if they have a mother and then their mother's not there or the mother can't be there because of uh of illness or you know whatever happens down the line um I've thought about potential fostering in the future I think there's so many children that need help and I think if I can help them in some way then um fostering would probably be the way to do it um I think it's quite far off for me at the moment so it's not in my like it's not in in, in any plans or anything at the moment but it's definitely something that I'm open to um and I want to live my life in a way that's open to anything um to a point so if if it if something came around and and that was the way to go that was the best route for me then potentially that's that's what I would do but I would never say no um but I just want to see what happens never say never never say never and like you said like at, at the moment I'm still focusing so much on my health and me and like my personal growth that um yeah that that's where my focus is at the moment nice yeah I think as transplant patients that's like a bit of our um it's a part of our the harsh reality that that we that we deal with and that we live with is that we you know we're unable to do certain things or if we are able to do certain things we have to make very conscious and strict decisions on it so I really like that you, you know, you realize and understand and know like this is, you know, like this is your life and you've accepted it. Like for me, um, I don't know. I, I, I like the idea of like of starting a family, but then, you know, when you think about the reality, it's like that really is going to take a huge toll on our bodies. And is it going to be worth it? Because I know some women, they do experience like some rejection, you know, while going through pregnancy and such so like you know it's a very tough decision to make is there like are there like three things that you can um like bullet point out for me of like what you would tell a woman who's kind of on this journey like the three most important things for her to think about when considering like if she should you know, live like child-free or like find another option in getting the family that she wants? 
like, is there something that you would like point her towards or have her think about? Cause I feel like, um, we're kind of guided, like usually by the doctor, by the, like the medical team to, you know, think about it or consider it, or that kind of just comes up from them versus like from us. And then we have that to then think about, which then puts pressure or then puts like concerns on us. So is there something that like you would have a woman think about on her own to get to that conclusion herself? I think um, in general, the biggest thing I would say is to understand yourself. So to to get to know yourself fully and what it is you want. as a coach, I, I would never advise and I would never like tell someone to do something. I would just ask the right questions for them to kind of get to a point where they're confident in their decisions and they're confident in what they want. Um, I think if a woman wasn't sure whether they wanted children or not, that's where I'd start. Like, what is it that you want? What do you want from life? What do you see in your future? What are your goals? What, what, excites you about the future and then work backwards from there um I think a lot of it is like self self-understanding self-knowledge um personal growth and we I think we all you know we, we put more emphasis on exercise and you know physical fitness and physical health and we don't look at our mental health and look at what it is that we actually want and who we are because it's quite scary it can be quite scary to actually look inwards and think about those things um sometimes we just kind of we just jump on the ride like we don't we don't think about it we just do what other people are doing or go along with you know how we what we should be doing um over what we want to be doing so I think one of the biggest things is just to start to get to know yourself start like one of the big things that I've started doing which I would never have done before but is journal like it's just write things down like when I started the blog that was probably the start of my journaling um, and then now I just like keep a notebook by my, my bed and try and do some journaling in the morning, um, five minutes, like, you know, and just start to that understand what your thoughts are and what your thoughts are around a certain subject and ask yourself, you know, what, what do you see in your future? What do you want from your future? And I think if it, if it comes down to like, to, to, like us, like illness, like transplant and, and children, it's also looking at, at the health factor and seeing what it is that you can do like what can your body do and how much of a risk is it going to be and what risks are you willing to take because if 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 having a family and having children is a massive priority for you then I think you should try and make it work if you can so you need to work out how um how to make that work um in the best possible way for yourself and for the people around you Beautifully said, Hannah. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining us today and giving us insight on, you know, your transplant journey and your advocacy. It truly is an inspiration to us all. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. I've really enjoyed meeting you all, and hopefully, we can all stay in touch. Yes, absolutely. We sure will. We sh- we sure will. Thank you so much, Hannah, for joining us today. We really enjoyed your conversation. Um, to our listeners, you can follow Hannah on Instagram at Transplant Tribe. And also make sure to follow us at Health Chronicles Podcast to stay connected. You can also email us at healthchronicles3 at gmail.com with any suggestions or any questions you may have on today's episodes or just general um, inquiries. 
Thank you again and have a great day. Thank you all. Uh,